Morning, I'm not. Good evening, everybody. How are y'all doing? Good. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, we begin with a little prayer, just in trust. The next hour, everything that we hear, everything that we learn, hopefully, um, to our Blessed Mother, ask that she be with us and open our hearts and our minds as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, welcome back tonight too. I didn't scare everybody away, so that's a good sign. Um, before we begin, I just want to kind of begin maybe with a little recap. Um, was anybody not here last week that is here this week? So to those of you who were here last week, I think they would like to know a little nugget that you took away. Um, is there anyone who want to share like one thing you remember from last week? Anything at all about what the Mass is? Yeah? So there's a relic, and the, so most most altars traditionally have relics of saints in the altar, and so this relic has a relic of Saint Marcel Champ, some, Champagne. Yeah, Champagne. I've been here since '94, mm-hmm. and I did not know that. Right. So he is, his relic is here on the altar. Somebody else had their hand up. They wanted to. I saw like three hands. Yeah. So at one point it looked like there were two, but one of the holes is filled in. So I don't know what happened to the second relic. But there's one relic here. Can you tell us about the, um, the posture when the priest walked in like this, that that was a military surrender. Mm-hmm. A lot of us didn't know that before. Right, so this is a symbol of our surrender to God in the Mass. So we don't just kind of do this just because, but it has a meaning to it. Anybody else? Yeah? Mm-hmm. So when we come to Mass, we're not just like coming together to pray. What we're doing is something heavenly. We're participating in the worship of the, all the angels and saints in heaven. So during Mass, we're not the only ones in here. All the whole angels and saints of heaven are here with us, praising God with us. Um, so that's something to keep in mind that's really cool. Um, a related question, maybe. Was something different about Mass this Sunday? Did, what, did, were you, was something, did you, something, because of maybe what you learned, were you able to enter into Mass a little differently? Does someone want to maybe share a little bit, something about that? If you want, it's okay if not. Mass is a time machine. Mass is a time machine? <laughs> you want to say a little more? <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah? The opening chant. Hmm? The opening Yeah, what about it? I read it. You, so you looked at it to kind of help you see, okay, this is what... So every Mass has an opening chant that kind of gets us into the mood of like what... This is what the Mass is going to be about. Um, and so it helps us kind of... Something to reflect on as we prepare to celebrate Mass. Um, it's good. Great. Yeah? Yeah, so that because of what Mass is, I think we just do it so often, it's just a routine. But 
we're, we're participating in heavenly worship. God is coming down here. And so we should leave changed. Somehow, maybe, maybe we can't articulate how, but we leave changed. And if we're expecting to be changed, that we can't, we have to have those expectations. Maybe one more. Beautiful, beautiful. So she, mass, we're at Calvary. So she said, as the priest is walking up, she, she put herself there, because that's what we're recalling it. We're actually at Calvary. And so she put herself there, which has helped her open her heart more to what we're actually doing. So beautiful. So thank you all very much for those of you who shared. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're just going to kind of pick up where we left off last time and walk in through the Mass, which incidentally is that the very first thing that we say. So we begin the Mass with the sign of the cross. We begin a lot of things as Catholics with the sign of the cross. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that it's the sign of the cross. What we say is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we say the Trinity, and we make the cross. So in that one little prayer are the two greatest mysteries of the entire faith. The Trinity, who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the cross, which is how He chose to, to offer salvation to us, through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. And we say, Amen. Every time we say, Amen, it means it's, it's an assent. We say, like, yes, I believe. Whatever, what I'm saying, I make those words my own. So we begin by recalling that, that that little prayer in itself is something you could, you could spend a whole life on. The Trinity and the Cross, that's, that's a lifetime of prayer right there. Uh, Saint Tertullian, not Saint, just Tertullian, he was a second century Christian father. He said that in all our coming in and going out, in putting, in putting, of our, putting on our shoes at the bath, at the table, in lighting our candles, in lying down, and sitting down, Whatever employment occupies us, we mark our foreheads with the sign of the cross. Something that should, those two things should permeate our whole life. And so, it's a reminder of what, hopefully, that's not the first time we've said it in a long time. Recalling those great mysteries. And after that, the priest will say a couple different things, but basically, the Lord be with you. So what does that mean? So it's signifying that Christ is really present. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Christ is here with them. The Latin of that word, of that phrase is Dominus Vobiscum. So Dominus, Lord, Vobiscum means with you. So there's no, there's no verb in there. And in Latin, when there's no verb, you kind of like supply the to be verb. So that's, we, we translate it as the Lord be with you could reasonably say that it's the Lord is with you. It's a reminder that the Lord is here because of where we are, in a special, special way He's here. And the response to that is, and with your spirit, signifying that the spirit of Christ, in a special way, is present in the priest. Because He came in here in the person of Christ. He offers a sacrifice as Christ. So in a special way, Christ is present there too. So we begin the whole thing just by remembering Christ is really here. 
And we're going to say that at periodic points throughout the Mass as our, when, when we want to maybe check back in. Christ is, really, is present here in a special way. Just because we're humans, we, we, our minds wander. And so every time you hear the Lord be with you, Christ is here. Christ is here in whatever way that is. Then, the very next thing we do is the priest tells us to call to mind our sins. It's kind of weird that the first thing we do in Mass is think about all the bad things we've done. Right? Um, But if we really recall, if we remember where we are, we're, we're in heaven. We're at Calvary. We're with Jesus. It's kind of natural that what, what else can we do but just in the, praise, in the presence of so much awesome grace, we, we, we recall we're not worthy of that. And so that time is a time for us to, to think about in the last hour, in the last two hours, since the morning, the last day. Where have I, where have I messed up? What have I done that I probably shouldn't have done? Have I got snapped at someone? Have I gotten impatient, road rage? Have I gossiped? Whatever it may be. Um, that's time, a time for us to, to do a little examination of conscience. How am I doing? How did I do this week or today? A week's a long time. We don't really get it. You get it maybe a couple seconds. So maybe how did I do in the last hour or the last day? And what did I didn't do that I was supposed to do? Right. So, so exactly. So... One of the ways, one of the options of that is, is the, it's called the confidior, I confess to Almighty God, and you can all probably follow from there. Um, and that encapsulates in a special way, I think, what we're doing here. So notice what we say, we say, I confess to who? To God and to you, my brothers and sisters. And the priest is saying that too. We're all acknowledging to God and to each other, look, we all miss the mark. Every day we all miss the mark. None of us are perfect. That I have sinned in my thoughts, in my words, in what I did, in what I didn't do that I probably should have done. And so we, we, we're, all, we're all on level playing ground here. No one's higher than the other. We've all fallen short in our way. And so what do we do? Therefore, I ask Mary, I ask all the angels and saints who are all here present right now, and I ask you all, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me. So we're acknowledging we're all sinners, but we're all sinners together. And we're praying for each other. And all the angels and saints in heaven are praying for us to God that we could receive his mercy. And the priest says, may almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. And then it's cool. Then the next thing we do, we get we, we start off with acknowledging how we've fallen short, how we need God's mercy. And then we get to experience the joy because we know that we've received that mercy. So we say, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We recognize that, yes, we sinned, but God has given us that mercy. And so we can't help but just praise Him. That's all we can do. The Gloria is one of the most ancient hymns of the church. It's dating back to like the times of, of the Apostles. It's been a constant uh, um, hymn in the church. It gets its roots from, if you remember, the shepherds in the field when Jesus was born. All the angels and heavenly hosts appeared to them and said, um, they said, do I have that? I do. 
So, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So, we take that from the incarnation. We're remembering that that's the moment when God became man to, bring, to set us free. And so, we're just experiencing that joy again and again. And so, if, you, if it's just a list of of, of um, honors that we give to God, Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father. All we can do is just beautiful language praising God for everything that He's done for us. You take away the sins of the world. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. You alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ. Over and over again, that's, that's what our response is. That's what our response to what God has done for us. It's just this fervent language of all we can do is just praise Him. On your, on your sheet in the glorious section, there's a quote um, from a, a visionary named Catalina. I don't know her last name, but she, saw, she received visions of the Mass. And seeing like what was actually happening. She, she could see all the things that we couldn't see. And so I, I'm quoting her a couple times throughout this because I think it gives us great insight into what's actually happening. So she says, because she's, she sees all this happening, she says, How different was that Gloria? Suddenly I saw myself in a far off place full of light before the majestic presence of the throne of God. With so much love, I went on thanking him as I repeated, For your immense glory, we praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we give you glory, we give you thanks, Lord. So that's what we're doing there. We're recognizing everything that God has done for us, and we just praise him. That's all we can do. Even though we're sinners, we still praise him. So we finish the Gloria, and we get to what's called the Collect. It's the kind of it's the prayer that's the, the the heart of the intention of that mass. It's where the, the character of the mass finds its expression. So this is a, it's a really important prayer, and it's called the collect because it comes from the Latin. And so it's not just something the priest does. The priest is collecting all of our own personal intentions that we have, and he's offering that to God, and we're all praying that prayer with him. The director of the seminary that I'm at often says, and when he preaches about the collect, he says that, I prayed on your behalf. So the priest is saying the words, but we're all praying that prayer. We're all a part of that. And we respond, amen, to, to affirm that, like, yes, that's my prayer too. So every Mass has a particular collect. So if we look, for example, for this Sunday, the collect says this, O God, who founded all the commands of your sacred law upon love of you and neighbor, grant that by keeping these precepts, we may marry to attain eternal life. So God, help us to follow your law with your, by your grace so that we can attain to the gift that you want to give us, eternal life with you in heaven. That's our, that's, that's, and we, have, we all have our special intentions, but in a particular way, that's what we're praying for this Sunday. That we can follow God's commands by His grace so that we can receive the gift that He so badly wants to give us. And if you notice, the priest 
he has his hands in a special way during that prayer. It's called the Oron's position. And so this is it's kind of it's a way of praying um, that goes back to, to Jesus' time and before. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a sign of openness um, and a sign that, that the priest is he's, he's, it's a priestly kind of presidential posture. It symbolizes the fact that he's do, when, he's, when he's like this, it symbolizes that he's doing this on our behalf. So he does this at a couple times throughout the Mass. And it symbolizes that he's doing this with us and for us. We're participating in whatever he's doing when he has his hands like that. It's a, it's a, yeah, so it's related to, it's, it's from the Latin word for prayer. And so it, symbolized, it, it originally symbolized Jesus on the cross. And that's his position. When he was praying for us at that moment, that's how he was. And so the priest imitates that, imitates Jesus on the cross, because that's essentially what he is. And that's, that's the symbol that we know that he, we're praying that, and it's praying on our behalf, for us and with us. So after that, we sit down, and we have the readings. So from every part, from the whole Mass, from, from the beginning up until now, we've been speaking to God. We've been asking for His mercy, we've been praising Him, we've been saying, Lord, grant us this grace, whatever it may be. And so now, it's God's turn to talk to us, through His Word. So we're going to listen to, we listen to readings from Scripture... And we see there are, there's, a, there's a cycle that we follow. There's different readings for every Mass. And that's how God speaks to us. And the temptation is to think that, number one, we've heard, I've heard this one before, so I'm just going to kind of check out a little bit. Or number two, to think that this is all stuff that happened 2,000 years ago, so how can that apply to my life right now? Because the Bible is different than any other literature. It's the living, breathing Word of God. It's alive. And so, no matter what, there's something, there's something new for us. As we're going through different things in life, the same, from the same passage, different things are going to jump out at us. Have you ever had that experience where you, you, you've, we've heard, you know, particularly with the Gospel stories, we notice this new detail that we didn't notice before. And that speaks to something that we happen to be going through. So this is where God speaks to us. In the first reading and second reading, we hear the foreshadowings of Scripture that point to Jesus speaking to us at the high point in the Gospel. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, he said that the person who thirsts for God eagerly studies and meditates upon the inspired word, knowing that there... He is certain to find the one for whom he thirsts. God is present in Scripture. That's why it's such, an, it's such a fruitful thing to, if we want to pray. Pray with, pray with the Bible. Take, start with the Gospels. Take a Gospel passage and read with it and sit with it. See what jumps out at you. Because God is, God is really present in His Word. And if we look for Him there, we're going we're to find Him. The saint says we're certain to find Him. So don't take my word, but take His word. There's also appropriately a little period of silence because it's in that silence where what we heard, that's where it, it hits whatever it's when it applies to us. What's going on in our life? That period of kind of reflecting on the, on the word, that's where 
our heart is opened and it touches touches something in our heart, whatever it is. So after the readings, we stand and sing Alleluia. Alleluia is a Hebrew word that literally means praise the Lord, praise be to the Lord. And so we stand and we say that to symbolize that God is present in a special, special way in the Gospels because it's Jesus' words. It's the story of the life of Christ. This is the story of our salvation, like at its culmination. This is the high point of the liturgy of the Word. We kind of get another little reminder that Christ is present because before the Gospel, what does the priest or deacon say? The Lord be with you. It's a reminder, hey, Jesus, this is enough. This, Jesus is here in a special way. And it's so special that only, only certain ministers can proclaim the gospel. And when they do, they always have to ask a prayer. Lord, help me to proclaim this gospel worthily and well. Help me to proclaim your words because I'm not worthy to do it. So I can only do it with your help. Every time I say the gospel, I have to ask, Father Mike, praise that prayer over me. The Lord be on your heart and your lips that you may proclaim his gospel worthily and well. And so we hear Jesus speak to us in that moment. So then after the gospel, we sit down and we have the homily. So the purpose of the homily is to kind of help us bridge that gap. Of, we heard these texts, now how, can, how does that apply to my life? Because sometimes it's, it's honestly hard to make that, you know, 2,000 years ago Jewish culture to, you know, 21st century American culture. So the purpose of the homily is to help apply the words that we heard to the life of, of the people in, in that particular congregation. So to you all, our goal is to help you see how the scripture applies in your life. And the purpose is not so much to be, it's not so much of a learning experience, but forming us to be disciples, forming us to go out and to live as the disciples that Christ wants us to be. One of the, the, one of the sources I looked at, this is really me, I put this in there for me to talk to me. Monsignor Knox, he said, don't try to influence the people consciously. To talk good and put on airs of goodness would only turn you into a snob, and your friends will see right through it. I think what touches hearts is authenticity. Not, not me trying to pretend to be someone I'm not. So I'm, I guess I really am talking to me right now. But authenticity is what affects people. And so that's the purpose of the homily. To just be an authentic witness of the person, and how, how does that affect me, and how, how can that apply to our life? And even if that, if the homily, you know, isn't that great, which a lot of times it probably isn't, um, we can know that God is still, like everything that's happened up until this point is still true. Like the homily is not the high point of the Mass by any means. It's like pretty low on the totem pole, in my opinion. Um, So, but like God spoke to us, and God is going to continue to speak to us no matter what. So that's, but that's the purpose of the homily. And it's necessary for us to, to it's, a, it's, a, it's a wake-up call every week. All right, I'm going to recommit to being a disciple. I'm going to recommit to living how Jesus wants, us to, wants me to live. 
And so after the homily, we have the creed. So the creed, they call it the symbol of faith. It contains every, all the basic truths of the faith are contained in that one little paragraph, whatever you want to call it, that text. That dates back all the way to the 325 AD is when that creed was written. So we've been saying, the, we've been saying those words for 1,700 years. Christians have professed those very same words that we're saying today, which is, which is insane and awesome. And it puts another sign of the unity that we have from Christians 1,700 years ago, 1,700 years in the future. We're saying those words. We're united with them in praising Christ. And it's, it's the response. Do we hear God's word? The only way that we can hope to respond to hearing God's word and hearing him speak to us is with the faith that, that we hope to receive from him. We believe in you, God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that he's real, that he's active, and that he's present in our lives, and that he's acting. And that is the Nicene it's Creed. Nicene Creed, yes. The Nicene. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The Apostles' Creed, which is the same thing but different. Right, so they came from different councils, but it's all essentially the same thing. Um, and so something that's been really cool for me since being a deacon is that right after the homily, I get to pray the Creed. So my prayer every time has been, Lord, I hope that whatever I've said has led people to this faith. I hope I preach this. Because if I didn't preach what we're saying, then I missed the mark. That's the goal, is to lead, lead to the faith. Right? And so another thing that the creed kind of serves to do is that the homily and the readings kind of, we, we rightly turn kind of, on. we look at how does this impact me? How is this impacting my life? So we kind of tend to turn more inward. And so what the creed does is it reminds us, all right, that, and that, that's a good natural progression. And it's refocusing us on what's happening. Because of this faith that we have that's impacting my life right now, we're coming to Calvary. So it kind of serves to pull us a little bit out of ourselves, to reunite us all together, so that with a, a union of heart, a union of mind, and a union of voice, we, we, return, we, we offer God the sacrifice that we're preparing to offer. If I could wrap up, and I'll, I'll have some time for questions at the end. All right, thank you. Um, so that that's what that's what we that's what we do in the creed. It's the whole of that faith. Following the creed, we have what's called the universal prayer, the general intercessions, the petitions, um, whatever you want to call them. And so, what we do there is that, having been nourished by that word and expressing that faith. We pray for, for everybody, a universal prayer. We're putting ourselves in union with the whole universal church. It's another a reminder of our unity, of, the, of all the churches throughout the world. We're all praying for each other. It's a union of, of all of Christianity throughout the whole world. So we pray. We all, we all exercise, in a sense... A baptismal, we're all baptized as priest, prophet, and king. So we exercise our baptismal priesthood by, by offering up those petitions that, you know, for the church, for the whole world, for our civil leaders, for all those who are sick and suffering, for those who have died, for those who are dying, all around the world and those in our own life. 
that's time for us to, to call those things to mind and show the union that we all have in praying for those things. That's what we're here to do. We're here to pray for ourselves and for the whole world. And that, with the end of the general intercessions, everything we've just covered is called the liturgy of the word. And so, to kind of recap, what we've done up until this point is that we've confessed our sins, we've acknowledged our need for God's mercy, and we've recalled how much, how God has given us that mercy. Through recalling what he's done in sacred scripture, through the homily, seeing how that applies to our own life, how time and time again, no matter how unfaithful we are, God has remained faithful. And he's offered us that salvation over and over and over again. Christ has been made present here in the gospel. Because he's really present in that, in that word in a special way. Christ is present. And we've reflected on these mysteries and we're compelled to that faith that we recited in the creed. And we offered our prayers for all of the universal intentions. And so, the next thing that we're going to move into is called the offertory. Which I think is one of the, the most undervalued parts of the Mass. What happens, what's, what happens in the offertory is, is like one of the greatest things that happens in the Mass. So what, what happens in the offertory normally, we have a collection, the altar set up, and the gifts are brought forward. But so much more is happening there that we kind of can, can lose sight of in the hustle and bustle. We've got to get the purse, got to do blah, 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 blah. The altar server is kind of fumbling around. We've got to organize all this stuff. And we just kind of can get in watching them. We're just watching them do this. Kind of get distracted about what we're supposed to be doing. So there's a, there's a material and there's a spiritual dimension to the offertory. So way back when, in, in apostolic times, the all the Christian believers would bring forward their own possessions, whatever that was. Money, food, mostly food, and that food would be distributed to the poor, to those who, who don't have anything. And that kind of material element stayed. Even today, there's cultures where the offertory, they, they literally give whatever they have. They give produce and crops. They give chickens. They give livestock. Like mass is not, or the offertory is not a quiet time in a lot of countries because they're literally like bringing chickens forward and giving them to the priest. So I don't know how that works, but that's so it's, but it's a symbol of the people offering from what they have to God. Here in America, we kind of go with the money route. That's kind of the quieter traditional we're going to, we'll put our envelope in or our, our, you know, dollar bill in. Our $5 bill, whatever it may be. But the purpose is the same. It's offering something of ourselves to God. And so you may have heard, you know, tithing. This is, this is what, um, it has roots in ancient Jewish times. It first is in, in Genesis, when Abraham offered 10% of all of his spoils to the high priest Melchizedek. And Jewish law mandated that the Jews had to offer 10% of their crops, of their livestock, to God. And it wasn't just like this, this mandated thing. What it was is a reminder of the covenant. So if you look on the, under the offertory section, there's a quote there from Deuteronomy. It says, 
This is Israel reminding themselves what God had done. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you, and to your house. So when, Israel, when the people of Israel would offer, make their offering to God, it was a reminder, God has done so much for me. He's brought us to this land. And so this is just like a little, a little meager action of thanksgiving um, for everything that he's done for me. And that same, kind of, that same mentality occurs into the, 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 our material offerings in the church today. There's no like mandating 10% or anything like that. But the church says we have an, we have an essentially a, a moral obligation to support, to, to contribute to the church. Not because of some, you know, the church needs all our money. But it's, it's, in, it's showing us that, we, it's training us to see that God has given us so much. Everything we have right now is a gift of God. And so it's, it's an act of thanksgiving to God and saying, Lord, thank you so much for everything you've given me. I offer this to you as just a little, a little thank you for what you've done to me. Whatever you're able to give. There's no like, no one's, no one's checking your checkbook to see if you're giving that 10%. Whatever you were able to give, that's, and it's just a, a humble act of thanksgiving to God. St. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, um, he, he speaks really beautifully about this. It's, a, it's not on your sheet, but it's a little lengthy, but so just listen and, and, and hear this. The point is this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But each one must do as he has made up his mind not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God, want, when we give, God, it's a free gift of God from our heart. That's what, it, that's what he wants. God loves a cheerful giver. That's why there's no compulsion. It's a free offering. This is what God wants for us. This is what we want to give to God. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. So that you may always have enough of everything and may provide an abundance for every good work. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your resources and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for great generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So God is never outdone in generosity. And so when we, when we offer to God, God will return. Every time. But so that's the material part of the offertory. And honestly, the less important part of the offertory. Because there's also a spiritual dimension. See, we're not just offering our money. We're offering... Everything of our this is the most important part where the bread and wine that are brought up are not just bread and wine. They're symbols of all the prayers that we've brought, 
So all the joys, all the sufferings, all the people you're praying for, every experience you, you have that's on your heart right now, this is when you offer that to God to be brought up to the altar to be sacrificed to, with Jesus on the cross. So while we're here, as, as we're, we're listening to the music, we're praying, this is when we're, we're God... I have all these burdens in my heart, and, even, and it doesn't have to be bad things. I have these joys in my heart, God. I'm just so thankful for whatever it is, and I offer this to you. Thank you for this gift you've given me. Or if it's a difficult situation, Lord, I just don't know what to do with this. I place it on the altar, and I just entrust it to you. And I pray that you give me the grace to know what to do you know, from there. That time, it's an extended time of, of silence, with, of reflection... Because that's when we're, we're making our spiritual offerings to God. That's when we make those spiritual offerings. The very bottom, the last thing on that, on that bottom page, says that the offertory, it's just a cool way to think about it. Put yourself in your imagination on the patent between the priest's hands. Set your life apart for God as a sacrifice to be consecrated. Everything in your life. Offer your joys, your sorrows, your pains, your hopes, your sadness, your petitions. And remember that the Mass has infinite value. Therefore, be generous in offering and in asking. So not only, not, it's, and not only, and especially not materially do we need to be generous. Spiritually, even more so, we need to be generous in asking. The Mass has, has real grace, real effect, and real power. And this is our opportunity to, to, to unite everything that we have to that. The Mass changes things. The Mass changes us. This is the moment when we put what we want to be changed on the altar. So every Mass, when you see the bread and wine brought up, don't see bread and wine. See all the prayers of everybody here brought forward to the altar because that's what's happening there's um, there's a quote again by Catalina and it was too long for me to put on the paper but this is my favorite thing from the whole um, all of her writings this is my favorite thing that she wrote and it's the one that kind of like hit me really hard because it showed me how often I failed to do that So listen to this. Suddenly some characters, who I had not seen before, began to stand up. It was as if from the side of each person present in the church, another person emerged. And soon the cathedral became full of young, beautiful people. They were dressed in very white robes, and they started to move into the central aisle, and then went towards the altar. Mary, our mother, said, observe. They are the guardian angels of each one of the persons who are here. This is the moment in which your guardian angel carries your offerings and petitions before the altar of the Lord. Some of them were carrying something like a golden bowl with something that shone a great deal of golden white light. The Virgin Mary said, they are the angels of the people who are offering this Holy Mass for many intentions, those who are conscious of what this celebration means, 
They have something to offer the Lord. Offer yourselves at this moment. Offer your sorrows, your pains, your hopes, your sadness, your joys, your petitions. Remember that the Mass has infinite value. Therefore, be generous in offering and in asking. Behind the first angels came others who had nothing in their hands. They were coming empty-handed. The Virgin Mary said, those are the angels of the people who are here, but never offer anything. Which more often than not, is me. I'm just in the, I'm in the, the routine, I'm just here, I'm distracted. I think, about, I think about this quote a lot and think, what am I offering to this Mass? What can I bring forward? Am I coming to Mass with, do I take, maybe take a little time to think, okay, what's going on in my life and what can I offer this Mass for? Because I think that plays a big part in us being changed. We come to Mass offering, what, Lord, what do we want to be changed? And Lord, please, I need you to change this. And so this is where the phrase offer it up is kind of where it has its highest meaning. And it doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Offer it up, we offer up good things and bad things. Offer up everything. God wants it all. No matter how minute, minuscule, big, small, there's nothing too big or too much. God wants it all. And that we can offer it, and it can be changed. And so that is, that's what the fullness of what, what's happening in the offertory, when those gifts are brought forward. And so we're going to have to cap it there. And next week we'll continue through the rest of the Mass. The rest of the, we'll get to the actual high point of the whole Mass with the, with the Liturgy of the Eucharist. So does anyone have any questions about anything I said? I'll give a little bit of time for that. No questions? Comments? Yeah? Mm-hmm. I find that being able to prepare for the readings with the lecture workbook, mm-hmm. I get so much more out of that than just before when I would come and just listen. I, I wish there were a way for the people who come and listen to me read could get that also. Because, you know, I feel like with the extra information in my lecture's workbook, I feel like I come and I'm so much more prepared. And I know that comes from being a lecturer to be mm-hmm. able to deliver more than just to just sit there and read it to them. I'm able to give more of a message than just to read it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like as a lecturer, that also gives me so much more from it. You know, I, maybe that's just something to, with this, that you're giving mm-hmm. to us here as a suggestion. If you're looking for more from the Mass also, that's a suggestion, I guess, is to come more prepared. So, I don't, so what is in the, is in the lecture workbook to have little reflections on the readings? Exactly. Okay. Like, you know, it's just, I read that before I even read the readings. So yeah. I prepare myself for what it is I'm coming to read. Mm-hmm. So preparation for the reading. So even if it's just at your, at your home, you know, before before you leave, sometime in the week, read the readings for the upcoming uh, for the upcoming right morning of. If you come to the church maybe five or ten minutes earlier, these missalettes and most missalettes have some kind of reflection. 
that can kind of help you. And it'll, if you come a little bit early and give you some of that quiet time to open your heart, because it is, pre- preparation is an important part to receive God's word in the readings. We have to, we have to open, God's going to speak, but we have to listen. And we show that we're listening by that preparation. So yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. What do you say to people who, who say, God didn't give me this. I worked real hard. I sweated, you know, to earn this mm-hmm. money. And God didn't give me this. I think they're both true. Do what? They're both true. So in a lot of, in a lot of times we want to say it's either this or that. But the great Catholic way of understanding is that it's both. So you worked hard to receive that. And God gave you the gifts, the talents, the life, the ability. And he, set all, he ordered all these things in your life for you to have everything you need to receive that. So it's a cooperation. A lot of this is, is God's given us the grace and we're cooperating with that grace. God doesn't do anything on his own and we don't do anything on our own. It's always working together. God didn't want to just throw all this stuff at us. He wanted us to, to receive it and to work with him in it. That's a much, to me, that's a much better way of understanding is that it's, it's always together. That God is with us every step of the way. So, yeah, that's what I would say. To, to me, it's almost unbelievable that God would love us so much mm-hmm. and send his son to die for us. Yeah. I mean, I believe it. But it's, it's almost unbelievable, you know, and the way we react to um, God and the things that we should do and so on. Yeah, no, it's, it's meditation. of that, that, that's, that's the mystery that we can meditate on for our whole life. That's the mystery of the sign of the cross right there. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. The Trinity. It's so confusing to me how it's three and one. Three So that is like the mystery for the last 2,000 years. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to, I can't make that make sense in our minds, but it's not supposed to make sense. So if, if we could comprehend who God is in himself, he wouldn't be God. He would, we, that if we can fully understand it, that means in a sense we're kind of like above it. So the fact that we can look at it and say, wow. It, it, like, it shows how, how great and, and mysterious in a good way that God is. Um, so I'll try to so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, the easiest way that I like to kind of to think about it is it's a communion of, of the Father. He gives himself totally to the Son. It's all, it's all movements of love. So the Father is the one who gives himself totally to the Son. The Father is just the giver. The Son receives everything he is from the Father. So Jesus receives everything. His mission, his identity, everything from the Father. And gives that, and his only response to that could be to give it back to him. And so and they have this communion of love. And that communion of love is so great that it's, a whole, it's, a, it's, a, it's the Holy Spirit. The outflowing, the outflow of the love of the Father and the Son. Um, I think, like, explain there's like when we when we try to explain the Trinity, we we use what's called analogy, which is different ways of talking about it and thinking about it. 
but really like I can't satisfactorily answer that question <laughs> but that, but there's a reason to that like I said um, the, the communion of love is kind of how I most I best kind of sit with it and understand it as best I can I guess I don't know if that if that helps or not yeah so but you have several identities too you know you are a son you're a student you're a family member you're a yeah that is that is one kind of it's a help so all these and with all these analogies there's things that are that are, that work and don't work that's kind of an analogy is it works kind of but then but it doesn't work in this way and if we just kind of keep examining this is how it works it kind of helps us to unlock it more and more um but that's like the one question I probably can't answer. Explain the Trinity. What is the significance of the word begotten? Jesus says Let me get into because that's so that's minute. I'll I'll answer that after this. Any more questions related to a? To uh, touch on what she just said, uh, John chapter one verse one says, "In the beginning was the Word, mm-hmm. and the Word was God, and the Word is God, and was." Word was made flesh. Right. So that kind of helps understand that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. God was in the beginning, so was the Word, so was the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And He spoke forth. The Word spoke forth Jesus into the flesh. Yeah. The Trinity is something we can talk all day about. <laughs> Any other questions? No? All right. Thank you guys very much for your attention. Um, we'll have the last. We'll wrap it all up next week. Same time, same place. Um, thank you very much for coming again. Um, remember. That is <laughs> another reminder that so you, we come here, we learn all this, these things. Now we all have responsibility. This isn't, this isn't just for us right here. This is going to help it spread out. So next time you find yourself in a conversation with someone about mass, how often that happens, maybe you bring up the conversation. Um, talk, help, help people understand. Help them to say, oh, I, when you hear someone say, I never get anything out of mass, maybe you can share with them something. This is what's actually happening. So the encouragement to go out. I'll get your question right after, okay? So let's, uh, let's end with a prayer, and then uh, we can stand up, because I'm sure you're all tired of sitting. <laughs> In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for the time we share today. We ask that as we go forth from here, we may be empowered by your grace to enter more deeply into the great mysteries and the great graces that you so, long, so, so badly desire to give us. We ask that our minds and hearts be open to see you in our daily life, to enter into the sacrifice that you offer to us with love. Our only response to this can just be to be a praise of glory to you. And we pray together, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, or without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He look upon you with His countenance and give you His peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.